0: Okay, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunting Ain't Easy podcast. I'm Don today with another biologist. And this time we're talking specifically about black bears in California. Uh, today's conversation is part of a multi-part bear series that I'm doing. And people in California are hungry to learn more about bears, bear habitat, bear hunting. You know how to find a bear when they've got a tag in their pocket and it's uh it's intentional not just bumping into something in the woods but actually going out and looking for bears um throughout the throughout the bear season so i've got on the line here jonathan fusaro who's a wildlife biologist he's a hunter and he also is a former cdfw biologist so he's got uh some insights into what goes on there at the agency that we all rely on and um probably most importantly, he's done quite a bit of, uh, bear and other, uh, predator, uh, and carnivore, uh, studies in the Eastern Sierra. And so Jonathan, welcome. I really appreciate you being here and giving us some of your time to share your expertise and some of your, your experiences.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Mike. I'm happy to share all my knowledge. I can with people.
0: Fantastic. Um, so. When I first Googled you, as we found, as, as we connected through one of the Facebook groups and, and you, you said you'd be interested in talking, I looked up your name and biologists and I found about a half a dozen studies online, uh, abstracts and everything. And uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. So I was wondering, can you, can you give me a little bit of a breakdown of some of the, you know, some of the work you've been able to do um, here in California, it, you know, while within the CDFW or, or before you were with the CDFW.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, with CDFW, I had a bit of a unique position in the state in some regards, especially in the Eastern Sierra, what we, they call region six, where I was focusing primarily on bears. And then also I did, uh, focus as well as on meso carnivores so bobcats and coyotes so most biologists in the in the state are like regional specific where they cover a lot of species depending on what's going on in their area so they might do elk and bighorn sheep and they do upland birds uh, any game species that are there uh, they help with endangered species stuff as well whereas I had a more focused effort and I uh, started my master's on black bear in Eastern California, and I published a couple papers out of my master's and I'm sure that's some of the stuff that you found there was uh, on black bears in in Mono County specifically. Um, And that, I actually started that work as a seasonal employee. um, And then we uh, developed a master's project out of it. And the goal for that was to help the state learn to better estimate population density and population size on a region-wide level instead of a statewide level only using harvest data. And so that was the goal okay. of like the initial stuff that I did.
0: That is something, it's interesting. That is a, a specific question as I shared out uh, on some of the social media that that I was having. I was was put together a bear series. With some biologists um, to talk to, and and hunters and guides and whatnot, and and some specific questions that came up were, you know, why can't we hunt San Luis Obispo County? Why can't we hunt the northeastern corner? Uh, you know, a guy shared like a dozen, half a dozen pictures of these really just majestic, amazing, huge, big, mature bears in um the northeastern corner of california that that you know i guess officially since we can't hunt them up there they don't exist but they're there and so the idea (laughs) of getting this this more granular localized and you know population estimate that goes beyond just well we shot so many or we killed so many so it must be this um what did you guys find in in the, in the Mono County area, how that, how did that all transpire and, and what were some of the, the results
1: you got too? So in Mono County, we did what they call like DNA based hair snare surveys. And these survey okay. techniques are pretty well used, uh, throughout black bear range and for grizzly bears is really where they started in the nineties. So we took those techniques that were used in wildland areas for black bears and grizzly bears and adapted them for the use in Mono County. And the general concepts are the same as where other people have used them in, in other States and in Canada, but we had to kind of adjust it for our landscape and our bear home range sizes and, and that sort of thing. And so with that, we, started the study on a pretty small scale we surveyed the town of mammoth lakes to look at urban bear populations and then we surveyed the uh, wildlife area that the state owns called slinkered valley um a little antelope and that's in um, northern mono county up there so we yep. laid grid systems over that and surveyed those those areas and we had great success with those techniques and we got good population estimates and we determined that their urban bear density was two and a half times higher than the wildland density in uh, <laughs> Slinker Valley and wow which is you know we hypothesized that but it was definitely interesting yeah. to see it come through it's uh and it also was quite amazing how many bears we did have in the wildland area our minimum count for bears that yeah. used that country were 70 bears in that one valley um, just and, in the Slinkard Valley area. Yeah. Just in that Slinkard Valley over a course of three years, there were 70 bears that used
0: Still, that. Still. And that's, and that's 70 different bears because you're doing this at the DNA, you're doing d- DNA analysis.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this is determination of exact individuals from the DNA. So, and that's, that's one of incredible. our prime Mono County. <laughs> that's our prime bear habitat. Um, You know, we wanted to compare the prime area versus the urban area. And then from there, uh, like I said, it was successful. And so then we decided to develop this region-wide population regime where we were going to look at the whole Mono County first and do these DNA-based hair snare techniques across the whole county. And we systematically, over the course of a few years, surveyed the entire Mono County with that technique, and had good success with that. Um, And then you were talking about San Luis Obispo County. So once the success started happening in Mono County, they recruited me to help them with a study in San Luis Obispo County and Monterey County, Um, and a biologist that was doing her PhD was the, the PI, the, the primary investigator for that project. But I helped them get up and running. I ran their crew out there with another biologist. And they actually did get a good population estimate in San Luis Obispo County. Okay. And then I had to leave and come back to Eastern Sierra for work. And they did Monterey County uh, as well. Okay, So it's uh, it started to turn into a successful story of being able to count bears using this technique. And so yeah. we started trying to get more work done in other regions. So San Bernardino Mountains, this started. And in that country where you're talking about the northeast corner up there in Northern Cal, they started using some of these yep. techniques as well. So cool. the the effort was really putting in and then we had sufficient funds to run the DNA. And we were starting to get good results uh, for a while.
0: What, um, it sounds like these other studies haven't, they haven't been finalized or they haven't been, they haven't been published yet. Is that, is that something that the, the, the hunting community can, can look forward to and, and having those, those out there at some point, or are they, they on hold or what's the, I mean, obviously you're not in, you're not there now. So, so it's, I'm, I'm asking kind of from a, your perspective,
1: right. So I left CDFW yeah. in 2018 and. Okay. Um, I have friends that still work there. So I hear some stuff here and there. But so I don't know where everything is exactly right now on all sure. that. When I left the Mono County study had finalized, the DNA was analyzed and preliminary analyses were conducted, but it was never finalized. Okay. And there are some intricacies as to why that didn't come through. But I was told that they're going to finish that report and finish the analysis and so hopefully that data will be coming out soon and it should be on the CDFW website. Uh, the San Luis yeah. Obispo study, um, they were in advanced stages of publication and that publication, I'm not sure what happened to it when I left. I, I never saw it come okay. back out. I was on the publication. so. Unfortunately, a lot of folks don't know about these studies unless they were in that region, ran into the biologist in the field or something, that we have a lot more data than people would expect. Uh, There's other projects that we're doing uh, intensive remote camera surveys and looking at bear distribution with those remote cameras throughout the state. And so there's actually a lot more data out there than people see on the state website then because right now if you look at the state website and i'm sure you've looked through it quite a bit because you've said that's how partly how you scout you don't see a report more than 2016. right
0: right right and
1: so yeah there's there's a lot lot of estimates
0: yeah a lot of estimates not a lot of um current data and i think you know it's interesting for the hunting community um I think we, you know, we're hungry for that data because as a, as a person that walks around the woods, I think there's more bears out there than we know, <laughs> or that, that anybody, anybody can say. And, and so, we, and, you know, when we start getting into, you know, policy discussions and even just the health of the, like you look at deer, the health of the herd, or you look at bears, the health of the bear population, Um, you know, th- there's a point at which. There's only so much berries and acorns and grass and and fawns and you know mountain lion kills that the bears can eat. And I think one of the worst things that we could have in the state to happen is is to get to an overpopulation situation with 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 black bears. Um, I think mean, that's where we yeah, get it's more human out, interaction. What do you think? I mean, is that is that a, is that a concern as a biologist that, that we are in, maybe we're not there now, but we're going in that direction?
1: So my personal opinion is like, we don't really know what the true carrying capacity is for black bears in North America in yeah. our current landscape. Uh, bears are returning to places they historically used to be, and then they're showing up in places we didn't have any historic data on. So it's super interesting seeing how well they adapt to urban environments, how well they adapt to these desert environments. Uh, we have bears. You're right. We have bears in places that are not huntable. Um, they allude to it in some of the reports that you read from CDFW that we know that they're not, we're not counting or CDFW knows they're not counting all the bears that there's bears outside of the hunt zones. So that hunt data isn't representative of anywhere that's not hunted. Uh, so they're aware that they're underestimating the population for sure, and one really interesting thing that's well understood now in in uh, the research and through Nevada Department of Wildlife is that our bears are now in Nevada. So they have yes. good studies. They talk going about on that a lot. They're, they're very proud yeah, of that tra- <laughs> yeah right they've tracked the DNA from those bears and they know those bears flooded in so yeah. we're talking here a very difficult thing to grasp and a very difficult thing to estimate is carrying capacity right so carrying capacity yeah. is limited by resources and estimating carrying capacity is extremely difficult especially for a species like a black bear that is yeah very opportunistic and has a lot of food sources and very adaptable. Uh, But it's pretty clear that they're continuing to move into new habitats and cover country we never thought they'd cover you know, through the Great Basin country and and they're spreading so um, have is there a concern about them reaching carrying capacity and and overpopulation you would say? Well, Sure. Um, it, it it turns out it's more like social caring capacity, right? Not so much biological capacity that typically gets reached first. And social caring capacity is a lot higher in urban areas, right? Versus the wildland area necessarily. Yeah.
0: Although folks in Tahoe, um, unless it's their house that's been broken into by a family of bears, they are super protective of them. They think they're like pets, and it's uh, it's kind of it's kind of weird how crazy some of the, how, you know, <laughs> just how 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 passionate some of the the Tahoe people are about the Tahoe bears in the region, um, even though the Tahoe bears can be a real nuisance and and you know and a, you know, threat to property and whatnot. I, a question on the yeah, urban. No, yeah, so I have a question about the urban bear interface. Um, sure. when, when hound hunting was taken away, and this, this is something that's been throw, was actually thrown out to me as a question on by somebody on Facebook. is there any science or anecdotal data that would that looks at what happened in terms of bears propensity to go into the, the, the populated environment? Um, after hound hunting was taken away.
1: So you're referring to maybe bears not being as fearful of dogs and so they're moving yeah, to the urban area? What be- do you
0: mean? Yeah, just becoming more habituated. I, you know, if, the, if a hound hunter is in Mammoth and they wanna go, they can walk a half a mile out of town or just on the edge of town and they can find a track and go um then those bears that are close to town like uh, yeah it has has habituation of those unhunted populations close to town accelerated the, the the issue or intensified the issue of bears being in the urban environment
1: um or am i just yeah, making a statement that can't you, be backed up you're, you're, <laughs> no you're, no you you're not the first person to think about that for sure. Um, and it's definitely something yeah. that goes through our mind a lot when as a biologist, um, habituation is potentially a really serious thing for wild populations. Um, there's this phenomenon known as source sink dynamics, where a bear might move into an urban area and they are essentially moving into a sink population or an ecological trap where they think that there's a really good resource, okay. but in fact, they die at a lot higher rate in the urban environment than they would in a wildland environment. And they come in for the trash and the dog food. And they're, they're maybe are hiding from hunters. Like you're saying, like maybe they are hiding from pressure and they seek that. They know uh-huh. that elk can do this sometimes in urban areas where they move away from wolves. Or they move away from, Um, hunters where they're in a protected area. But in the source sink dynamic, that's something that we as biologists would really like to get a handle on, but it's extremely difficult to get a handle on and know whether it's happening or not, whether or not survival rates are higher in wildland areas versus urban areas. And if that is happening, you could be depleting your wildland population around the immediate vicinity of the urban area and creating a sink. So, um, that is a real concern for sure. Uh, and whether or not hunting pressures bears into urban areas or the lack of hunting makes them more laxed. Um, I think that bears are extremely intelligent and they, they understand pressure, they understand hunting pressure. And it's very possible that some individuals do follow that pattern that you're talking about, um, on a large scale. I honestly do think that a lot of the habituation has to do with that <laughs> mentality that you're talking, you were talking about earlier in Tahoe, where there's huge tolerance for bears in urban communities in California. It's a very interesting yeah. way of thinking, and I've, you know, I worked a lot in the town of Mammoth, which is like a micro version of the situation in Tahoe, and uh, there are yeah. people there that had their homes broken into three or four times, and they felt bad that. The bear got in there, and they wanted, you know, they they, they kind of wanted the bear to like take over their home. Almost, they'd be like, "I'd rather move out." Basically, right. <laughs> let the bear have it. Yeah. Instead of you know, oh, it's cold outside. Other the
0: bear, the bear needs this. This it's so cold out. The yeah. yeah get into like, my fridge
1: and eat ice cream right now. It's right.
0: Like, <laughs> it's it's not a ten year it's it's not a ten year old kid like it's a bear like it's this is not normal this is not a good space for it. There was a there was a yeah. video clip. Uh, just a couple days ago, um, that the news had on local news, Sacramento news had on of one of the, the more iconic sows up in South Lake Tahoe. And this bear looks like, it's looks like a whale. This bear is so big and so fat it's a, and she had two or three cubs and just walked right down on the Pope beach by camp Richardson. And the Cubs were playing in the water and, you know, they're, they're having a great time. And people are just standing around looking at this bear. I'm thinking, that's like, that bear is the size of a Prius and with claws. (laughs) And, and yeah, it's moving really slow because it's a, it doesn't care about any of you people. It has no concerns about these people, but um, it just didn't look healthy. I mean, sure. As a hunter, I was like, Hey, look at this. I got this 500 pound, you know, Or, you know, but if it's a 500 pound, five foot bear, it's probably not super healthy. If it's 500 pounds, seven foot bear, maybe it's, maybe it's actually athletic, but the bear did not look, it just looked fat. I mean, it just looked like it it was breaking into, you know, the local burger joints, you know, grease bin every night and just getting huge. So that's my long way of saying, are these urban bears, are they healthy? And is it a sink? Do they actually come in higher density, but also higher
1: death rates? It has been seen in other, in other states where they've looked at real intensely with GPS collar studies that the urban area appears to be a population sink, and they're dying at a lot higher rates than their wildland yeah. bears. Uh, it hasn't been studied, or I, I'm not aware of it being studied at all in other parts of California, but it was studied pretty well by Endow. Biologists up in Tahoe on okay. the Nevada side, and they they were some of the first biologists that started recognizing this that I'm aware of that of the population sink potential. But it's hard to see and it's hard to understand because there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of bears up there, and you know it yeah. doesn't seem like you're depleting bear populations. they bears are pretty hardy critters. I mean. It, I've seen some really bizarre things that bears have eaten, you know, and it doesn't seem to phase them. So whether or not they're healthy, you know, a bear just wants to put on fat. They don't care like us that it's like this kind of fat or that kind of, you know, they're they're just putting on weight. And and I'm not super familiar with their physiology well enough to know, you know, unless they've eaten poison directly, that our food is necessarily bad for them in the long term based on how they, yeah, because they lose a lot of that weight and into hibernation. But there have been bears that have died from eating things they're not supposed to eat in the urban environment. You know, poisons of sorts. Sure. Um, you know, people put people put out uh, radiator fluid or something, and they lap that up and die. Yep. You know, there's there's rat poisons that have killed them. So yeah, it's all
0: right. So too so too many donuts burgers. and too much, too much burger grease won't necessarily do to a bear what it would do to me that's and that's me obviously humanizing that side of it too much but uh
2: sure, sure.
0: it was it was crazy you know I, and i definitely you know people say oh they're, they're here first like actually humans have been here along with the bears for you know thousands of years like maybe not my family but there have been humans on north america in north america in california hunting bears for tens of thousands of years um
1: so well, certainly i mean in the landscape dramatically changed now saying that they were here before us is kind of like well you have all this infrastructure and the whole resort communities and everything and you're going to say that they can just live amongst what we've dramatically changed it's the landscape is significantly different than it was historically and if you look at some of the old research you know that was done in the 30s and there's a couple books that are out there written about grizzly bears and their uh, presence in california it is believed that grizzly bears dominated california not black bears mm-hmm. and it is thought right. that part of the reason why grizzly bear or black bears populations increase so much and is doing so well is is because grizzly bears were extirpated from california so sure from the research that i've done black bears were pretty much tied to the sierras only they weren't in the great basin (laughs) desert country as much from historic records they weren't on the coast as much that was grizzly country so yeah you have to look at the historic data
0: yeah yeah so obviously um besides burger grease and donuts um in in tahoe and mammoth what uh you know, what's the bear diet look like and, and how, how, how does that impact hunters? You know, are, are they truly, are they truly eating deer or fawns as much as we, we fear them to be? And, and then in terms of beyond that, the food cycle, you know, how, has does a hunter leverage their knowledge of the food cycle to, to find, find a, find a bear in the wilderness?
1: Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, so, I'm mostly, like we said, I'm mostly focused on the Eastern Sierra. So I can speak to that mm-hmm. better than most other areas in the state. And uh, I kind of think of it based on season and based on what is available um, during that season. So there, there is actually a cheat sheet that you could use. A person could look up pretty easily on Okay. Uh, there's a Utah black bear management plan. If you just Google that there's a cheat sheet that I'm, I know it well, it translates to our area, but that's the best place to find this information. I think in a quick and easy place to look, but you're basically looking okay. at what's the flowering dates of different berries. And you're trying to look at also like when it, the fruit is ripening. So essentially bears eat service berries and they flower from May to June, and then the fruit ripens in July and August. So you're talking archery season, mostly is when the service berry becomes available. Um, Currants are another big berry that bears eat in the Eastern Sierra and that fruits June to August. But with that said, elevation has a lot to do with where certain berries are ripening. So they'll ripen at lower elevations first and higher elevations later on so bears will move a lot based on where things are ripening up and they'll cover a lot of country as anybody who's studied bears a little bit knows is you know bears will travel miles to get to a good food source um so yeah early season hunting i would focus on big open hillsides that have service berry current uh even get elderberry as well in that country. Okay. Snowberry. Yeah. If you, um, if you want to hunt bears, you kind of need to know your berry bushes and you need to get a book or one of the apps that can help you ID different berries and really know them well because different ones have fruit at different times of the year. Um, So as things get later in the year, so we're talking like October, time period choke cherries are still available often and bears will hit on those really hard and they may spend, spend time on a patch of choke cherries for a few days um, in one spot and you'll Got see it. choke cherries in their in their diet and then the next step for somebody once you know how to id these species is to know how to id the seeds in the bear scat that's the other biggest thing <laughs> <I've Yeah>. learned. <laughs> i so I,
0: I've been, I've been a fan of bear turds for four years, for going on five years. My family, yeah. when I first started hunting, I was literally, I was, a, I was, a, I was, a, the gun hiker. I, I was walking into the woods with a gun. I, I had a tag, but I, I probably wasn't really hunting. Um, but I would take pictures of bear turds and be like, Hey, look, look at this. It's the size of my boot. I got big feet. Um, they got, they got tired of, of me looking at bear poop. Uh, so f- sharing it so frequently with them, but so yeah, that's next level can't... is, is studying. What's, you know, and if it's a damp, if it's wet poo, <laughs> if it's wet mm-hmm. and you can figure out what the seed is, then you're close.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, over the years, you begin to learn microsite level differences in degradation of scat. So if it's way out in the oh. open in the sage it's gonna cook way faster right than it would if it's in some shaded area near the creek. So you might yeah. think a, a scat in a shaded area is newer than the one out in the sage, but maybe the one in the sage just cooked and it's, you know, it looks older and more um, broken down. So you can walk around out there. And I, I think a lot of people, a lot of biologists or hunters that I've talked to will see different scats and they just assume that that scat is from a time period when they're wanting to hunt so you you'll find bears eat (laughs) a ton of grass early on in the year and you can hunt them over big meadowy areas and along creeks where they're in aspen stands and they're eating grasses and that scat in this climate can last a really long time like i'll see them where i've caught a found a scat and then the next year i go out and it it's still there and it's and it it looks pretty much intact. Um, yeah, so especially the learn... grassy
0: ones. Cause they just kind of, they make that, it's like a woven mat and just, it just sits right. there and you could stick a trekking pole in it and pick the whole thing up. It's like, it's like a pancake that's just cooked solid.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're totally <laughs> right. And uh, I
0: mean, not that I I've done that, not, not, not that I've actually done that.
1: <laughs> Well, you, I encourage you to do it. I mean, you got to take a stick or kick it with your boot or pull apart with your hands and, you know, whatever it yep. takes to see what's in there. Um, to be honest with you, like I, I do it all the time and that really helps you learn what what they're eating. And if you start to get to learn the country really well, where you're focusing on a specific drainage and you see that there's choke cherry pits in there, and you know where there's choke cherries then that helps you huge like sometimes you know of course they might eat something then climb to a top of a ridge deposit their scat on the top yep. of the ridge but the berry patch is nowhere near the top of that ridge um it's right. down in the bottom two canyons over but if you know that and that's where they generally are and where they're even you could also just make um understand based on where you've seen ripe berries at certain elevations on certain aspects of the slope and say, okay, well, Um, I'm approaching an aspect similar to that and approaching a certain elevation similar to that. Maybe there's that berry patch on the other side of this ridge. And then you spend a lot more time glassing that country without even having to physically be there just to look for bears being in that country. Um, Because it's it's difficult to glass up berry patches and know what species it is.
0: Yeah, that would be that would be a skill. Um, really, hunting for the food, like hunt for the food, find the food, watch the food long enough. If it's if it's if it's truly in season, the bears will show up. On the west slope, you know, we've got we've got acorn trees, we got acorn shrubs, you know, we've got acorns, so mid-august right. till mid-october at varying elevations there's there's nuts there's there's acorns as an option too is the eastern slope more fruit driven um unless you get out into the the the, the pj the pinion junipers and like if i'm up if i'm in that x12 zone up in the mountains am i mostly looking for for various types of berry
1: yeah, uh, certainly in the northern parts of Mono County, the higher elevations, you're looking at berries for sure. Manzanita berries, also another big one uh, that they eat on as well. And uh, okay. they're easily identified in their scat. But the other really big food source for black bears on the east side is pinion pine nuts. And so pinion pine nuts are more like if you hunt oaks, you could kind of translate some of that knowledge to how you hunt Pinion pine nuts. Where not every hillside is going to have good pine nuts, just like not every hillside with oak is going to have good pine nuts. It might be certain patches at certain elevations. Some year are really good, and certain ones are not. I've seen where bears moved heavily from the Sierras over across the valley into the Glass Mountains and hit pinion pine forests over there because that's where it was really good that year. And so you and to find. Pinion pine nut scats is the easiest scat you can identify. It's basically full of pine nut shells. It just looks like a whole clump of pine nut shells in one pile. And that's very much a fall to a late, you know, even into November potentially, depending on how good the pine nut year is, that they're gonna eat on pine nuts. And you can find them in the driest slopes when the pine nuts are really good nowhere near yeah like aspen stands and meadows and they're just hammering on them um, we've had be- people harvest bears and that stuff and they come in and those bears have usually their right paw which tells you that maybe they're right-handed right their right ha- paw right. is in front of my paw is just matted solid with sap so much that they can hardly, it seems like they could hardly move their claws because they've been in the Pinion pines all the time. Um, wow! Some other interesting food sources that they hit on that can help you determine if a bear is there, but it's really hard to hunt over. You know, you really can't hunt over is uh-huh. squirrel middens where they've dug like at the base of trees in the piles where the pine squirrels have put a whole bunch of pine mm-hmm. nuts. They'll dig in those, and you can tell often that a bear's excavated them, and you can tell that a bear's been in that area. Uh, but they can do that in the spring because those midden piles could last uh quite a while and so you know those squirrels are caching them so they do that another thing to look for when they're eating insects because they're really big insect eaters they'll they'll hone in on Mm -hmm. um ant mounds and ant uh where ants have their larvae and they'll eat the heck out of them is Every once in a while, you'll be walking around in an area and you'll see a series of rocks flipped over and logs just torn yeah. up to shreds. And you start to get an eye for what it looks like. It's not just a random rock that flipped or that a hiker stepped on or something. You'll see multiple yeah. where they're kind of just systematically flipping every rock in the area and digging up stumps. And you can tell a bear's there sometimes based on how crisp the edges are of when they flip that rock. You know, if they flipped that rock right. and they were just there, the edges of where that rock was is very crisp. It's not just like soft and gradual. Yeah, it's not um, weather. So you'll start not Yeah. Exactly.
0: I was hiking out. I was hiking out of an area I go into a lot. Um, not last season, the year before. And I was, I was hiking out. It was like, it was well after dark. It was, I don't know, nine, ten o'clock at night. And I was, I was on a trail. Um, but I could hear as I, I, I was approaching a sound and I, I, I figured out that what I was hearing just right off the trail that I was supposed to walk past was a bear tearing a log apart. I couldn't see it. Oh, cool. It was pitch black. It was just dark and my, my headlamp didn't, didn't light it up enough. It gave me the creeps. Um, It sounded like, (laughs) I mean, it did not sound like a safe place to be. And um, sure. finally I just started throwing some, I started lobbing rocks over towards it and then it just disappeared. And then the sound just disappeared, just it went away. And of course, then I decided, yeah. well, did it go away? Cause he stopped, and he's looking at me or this bears stopped like something through a rock. Yeah. What is it? And so I, I kind of, you know, eased into that and got past it. But, but I, it took me a moment to figure out like out in the middle of the woods, what is this sound that I'm hearing? Basically like, you know, five guys hammering, you know, with picks on a, on a log. He was just shredding it. Um, yeah. But, and then, and then last year, the area where I, I did, where the bear that I took last year, it was, it was cruising through an area that I've got a camera and it's just like a, called like the, the wood lot. Cause there's all these trees that are down and the bears always, every time they cruise through there, they stop and they just pick, they, they tear apart one of the logs a little bit. Um, so in that instance, is that, are the grubs in those logs, is that a year round food or is there seasonality based on moisture or, you know, what's, what's the, what's the timing on that?
1: Yeah, it just depends on the species of insect. Like there's hatches and, you know, sometimes there's like moth hatches in talus fields, kind of like what they see. In other Western states where grizzly bears are honing in on these big moth hatches, Uh uh, that that does happen some in the Sierras as well. But there's almost always some insects that they can get after. Um, But the springtime is the primary, like early hunting season would be when the insect larva is most abundant and they're really digging in on those roots. So take, for instance, like a big old burned area is a great place to find mm-hmm. bears that are doing that they're flipping rocks they're tearing up um stumps because that's where you're going to find a lot of really good insects in that country as mm-hmm. well um and so do those don't have a lot is of that decaying
0: wood need it needs does it need moisture
1: yeah it would be, yeah ideally it would be moisture but a lot of times underneath the log there's enough moisture retention and the shade and it being near if it, especially if it's near a creek Uh, That's where you'll often find. So if you're in the Alpine and the the logs are dry, really dried out, you can start breaking them apart yourself and see what's in there. You know, certain times of the year, early season. Yeah, there might be stuff in there and break it apart. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's definitely insects up here. Uh, But then you'll break it up later in the season. You'll find that there's hardly anything. So, you know, you could definitely do that while you're out there. And kind of investigate the food source like they would too. Flip rocks just like they would, and see if you're finding stuff under them in certain <laughs> areas. Right, kind of play play the bear yeah. for a bit and see what you're finding. Because um, they're using their nose, of course, right for the most part, um, and they they can find it that way. But we gotta you know we gotta visually see it and kind of learn the patterns ourselves. Um, you had mentioned uh, hearing that stump getting torn up, and it reminded me of a story where my supervisor and I were packing out. We were actually doing a bighorn sheep survey and he hears I'm about a hundred yards ahead of him sitting next to a Creek and I'm waiting for him. And he was supposed to meet me a half hour, hour earlier. And then he shows up and he's like, uh-huh. where were you? I'm like, I've been sitting here the whole time. He's like, there was a bear a hundred yards up ahead of us. And I sat there and watched him as he tore apart a fawn alive. And he's like, you couldn't oh, hear great. that fawn wailing. I'm like, no, I couldn't. Cause I was sitting right <laughs> next to a big Creek. and." I was like, darn it. I didn't, I didn't know at all. I was like right there. But he watched that bear. um, Yeah, basically rip apart that fawn and then carry it off. And the bear didn't care that he was there. And this is in an area that's frequently hiked. So that bear is probably pretty habituated to hikers in that area. Um, But you asked about fawn mortality and the impacts on deer. So there was a study that was done uh, by a biologist that I did a little bit of work for, uh, when I first got out into the East side in like 2007, that was researching fawn survival in, um, in, uh, in Mono County. And they had determined on the West side. And I can't remember, I think it was somewhere around 70% of the fawns were killed by black bears on the West side. Wow. So the Round Valley herd migrates from Round Valley near Bishop, up towards mammoth, Uh the majority of them do, and then up and over the crest. And those, Mm -hmm. if I am understanding correctly, were the population that were getting hammered really hard by bears. And the population has only increased, black bear populations, only increased since that study was done for sure. And so the impacts on fawns is, is potentially really significant. Um, It's not really intensely studied all the time. It's extremely difficult to study that and takes a lot of money but it's pretty well understood that black bears can have a major impact on fawns. And then, you know, you bring in the fact that there have been some studies also out there that have shown that black bears will push mountain lions off their kills sometimes. Mm
2: -hmm. And a
1: mountain lion's not interested in typically in defending their food source from a black bear. They would typically, you know, take off and retreat or, And then that could potentially increase predation rates of mountain lions on more adult deer. And that's an issue that hasn't been studied intensely in California, but it's something that's been studied elsewhere and it could be happening in California as well. So bears populations being really high could actually impact fawn recruitment and uh, survival of adults by kicking up predation by mountain lions more.
0: Yeah. It's like, um, you start running the numbers like, okay, X number of fawns per bear, you know, X number of stolen adult deer per bear, X number of deer killed by mountain lions, coyotes, bobcats, all these animals have to feed themselves. Um, and then you've got a, a, a smaller deer herd, you know, or smallest deer herd from what I've heard in the last hundred years, you start wondering like, how are there going to be any deer? And I'm a fan. I believe the apex predator should be on the landscape. You know, I think, I think the hunting community does itself a disservice. Anytime we say kill all of whatever, um, I I think all the apex predators have their place. Um, but I also believe that management of them has its place too, to ensure that the deer herd, you know, the prey species have uh, a robust and healthy, you know, foothold on the, on the landscape as well.
1: yeah um it's uh there's this theory behind what they call top down bottom up um where top down theory is that predators are managing the population of prey and bottom up is Mm -hmm. habitat and food availability for prey is limiting their populations and sure my opinion is that it's it's never one just one of those things going on you know we we have you know one of the limiting factors for ungulates deer and stuff is often winter range you know you might have phenomenal summer range and fall habitat but if you don't have good mm-hmm. winter range that's in really good shape then that can be your limiting factor for why certain deer populations aren't at the levels they they could be um, it also could mm-hmm. be fawning habitat it's not a lot of really good fawning habitat. So that concentrates deer into a smaller area, which then makes it easier for predators to find them. And so yeah. that's definitely something that could be going on and, and more than likely is in a lot of ways where we have certain areas that have burned intensively. And if that stuff regenerates, that's going to create great fawning habitat if it regenerates well and the deer use it for yeah. fawning. Um, and it could also boost really good summer forage. But if we don't have burns in winter range and we don't have good winter range forage, then that's a limiting factor. Predator management can certainly help increase deer populations. Guaranteed there's, there's no doubt about yeah. that. And black bear, unfortunately in California aren't hunted, nowhere near the level that would be management in my opinion. They're not being managed. It's more yeah. of just a recreational opportunity at the level that we have. When we're a population
0: <laughs> <at the level laughs> No, don't say that. 40, we're trying to manage them. We're trying to. Yeah. What what would what right. would managing yeah. be? Ten percent? Is ten percent of a of a of a population, is that a management target? Like for any population that 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 rep that reproduces the way you know, the bear population is, 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 is what's a, yeah, so what's a percentage 10%, 10%, target that you'd 10%,
1: see? Is a, 10% is a general rule for most ungulate populations, but it's a little bit different okay. for predators. Um, and so I honestly think that really it should be more managed at a region-wide level because it varies significantly. I mean, California is extremely diverse. The habitats are extremely diverse mm-hmm. as well. And so if you're looking at managing a population, even with the quotas that we have, the quota that we have right now, certain counties might be managed because the amount of bears that are taking on of them. But for instance, Inyo and Mono County, Inyo County has a fair amount of bears relative to the type of good habitat, but only three bears mm-hmm. to five bears are harvested on average out of that county. It's nothing. In Mono yeah, County, it's it, it averages about 10 bears. Um, so that's just absolutely nothing. It's not managing anything. Whereas some of the northern counties, where you have a lot of bears and the harvest is a lot higher, maybe in certain locales they are being managed in that area, depending on yeah. how many bears are harvested year after year. Um, but coming up with a a ma- like a harvest quota for bears to manage them, you know, you the state really needs to wire out what its objectives are, and I yeah. I. If you've looked at the the reports the state has they haven't updated the statewide management plan since 1998 and then they put out a harvest right. summary each year but they stopped doing it in 2016. that hasn't been yeah. looked at and hasn't been touched um we currently yeah. don't have a statewide black bear coordinator that would be uh pushing that i know asking so it's um, very far behind. It'd be really difficult to tell you what a management objective would be. Um, the data that's been collected with all these different region-wide estimates from DNA-based mark recapture and the trail camera work kind of all needs to be brought together. And the state needs to have a intensive look at what data they do have and how they might be able to adjust harvest in certain regions and see if there is a way to manage it and determine what the management goal would be. Um, I know I've heard. Is you it, mention, is, it a, uh,
0: is it a funding issue? Is it a funding issue or a leadership and policy issue? Like, is this is this being allowed to die on the vine intentionally, say, uh, or the is there truly not money? <laughs> a little, a little bit of all that. Yeah, I
1: say Yeah, it's a little bit of all of that, and at different times. Um, huh? There, there's definitely a leadership issue because we haven't filled the statewide coordinator position, so a lot of the stuff that we as biologists do, or when I was working for the state, it's top down um, direction. And so if there's nobody directing certain research, like I said, I had somewhat of a unique position where I was specifically looking at bears, Um, The area biologists that cover the different counties are often asked to do take on more work and do more work, but they're so busy that it's really difficult for them to take on full scale studies without additional help from a specialist or from uh, the coordinator. And finding funny money, um, there is actually plenty of money uh, through Pittman Robinson funds to do the research we would need to do, and that's where yeah. the money came from to do the research I did. Was seventy percent or seventy five percent came from federal funding from Pittman Robinson funds, and got it. So I'm not sure if you've talked about that in your podcast with uh, letting everybody know kind of how that works and how that funding source works, but that's the tax dollars um, that come in from guns and ammunition sales, right? So uh, that money, the state of California has gotten a lot of it. um, And it's based on, if I'm remembering correctly, it's based on uh, size of your state and number of hunters that they allocate the funds. And California is surprisingly-
0: Licenses, tags. yeah licenses sold tags sold population Uh, there's a lot of metrics attached to that which means the more tags we sell the more money that comes in just from just from that too Totally. Um, Yep.
1: exactly it translates directly so yeah there's there's definitely avenues for the funding uh we would we really need the the state to step up and, and have leadership in directing that like what happened with this um it's a different story. But it shows that it's possible where the the directive to have this big statewide bobcat population study Mm -hmm. has been put out there that you've spoke about um, on your podcast. And if they did something like that for bears, we could really get the ball rolling as hunters and help, like get that information out there once it comes through because the techniques have been well established, and they've been well tested. And some of that data just needs to be mined and published. Uh, but there's more effort right. that needs to be done. So, yeah, I think, you know, setting a quota and increase or increasing the quota or making it region specific would be a great idea, but we need a lot more work to really do something like that.
0: Yeah. It seems like obviously the data would be needed to support it. Cause there's going to be anything you say about bear hunting in California. There's going to, you go to the commission, there's going to be a lot of people that just react emotionally and, and say, don't, don't, don't kill bears. And so I well, think that's you know, I feel like California. we as a community. <laughs> what's that? Yeah. I said that's I the way like of we California for. Yeah, that's the way. So so we have to expect that. You know, the problem is, is if we're not there to to speak our mind and 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 present thoughtful data based you know, um discussions, then then they're the only ones being heard because then we're, we're not there to be heard. So we need to organize our 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 message and our, our data. Um it seems to me that really every state of California, or I mean, every county could support, every, every zone could support bear hunting to some degree or another, because there are bears in all but like one county in the entire state. Um, And then, you know, I, my, my, I would love to plant the flag on, you know, two bear tags per hunter. I think a spring bear hunt would be great. I know there's, there's some of the opposition to it. I get it. Like, we don't want to shoot, we don't want to kill sows with cubs. I don't either so maybe there's an educational component that you have to go through an advanced hunter, hunter you know hunter course hunting course to identify and and see patterns of spring bears behavior you know identify sows but the thing is is i think we we can we need to we need to understand what the opposition is and where it's where there might be a rational point we need to approach it rationally with with that data and say okay well we can solve that problem Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. We're not managing bears. And so I would, I feel, I kind of feel like, um, I'm not the only one to say this. Like if you think you're going to pull an X eight or X nine or X 12 tag, you know, three years from now, a great way to scout one of those zones is to go bear hunt it each year.
1: Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really great way to go scouting for sure is to get out there and bear hunt. And you can, you can see a lot of really cool country and I mean, you can be out there right when you'd be looking for deer in the exact time frame you'd want to be hunting out there. Yeah, you're right. That's, yeah, and that's often. Do you widened. know why? <laughs> it's what you do. <laughs> yeah, I do because I've been trying to get X9A for about seven years now, and so and I I don't get X9A, and so then I move on right. to, to uh, you know my over the counter tag, and then you know I go in an X9 anyways, and and I go bear hunt, and you know and I check it out and I get to know that country really well, even more. So yeah, it's definitely, do you you know
0: why some of the X zones, um, you can't bear hunt during the X zone rifles general season rifle season. You have to wait till like October 10th or October 15th to bear hunt the archery season. You can, but the general rifle, you can't, do you know why they've got that, that separation? Um, it's it's zone specific. I think twelve is probably a good example. I think twelve you can't hunt until after general rifle is over in October.
1: You know, honestly, I <laughs> might be embarrassing, but I I remember it as though you can you can hunt as soon as the deer season opens. You can bear hunt in that zone, and maybe I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, it's 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 zone so specific. There's a why. few of the X day. zones. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm curious. I, you know, I don't know if it's a hunter con- I don't I, I don't it doesn't it just doesn't make sense. And it seems like that would be an easy change too. If you've got these X zone, you know, these hunters with these draw tags, if you know if they could and the zones where it's not allowed currently, if they could put a, a bear tag in their pocket, um for all those X zones. But uh so let's let's talk about hunting. Um I, you know, one of the segments I like to do on the podcast, uh, or I plan on doing with all my guests to one degree or another is, is, is throwing you a, a Latin long, you know, a pin drop. Um, and have you tell me how you would hunt this area. So it's the, how would you hunt this segment? And, and the reason I, I, I want to do this is because you know on the social media platforms a lot of folks hey I drew this tag how where do I go or what do you what do you suggest they just ask, people ask these blind questions of where should I go where should I it's all where should I go base where should I be looking where should I go where have you been and I think I think that that question needs to be turned upside down it's not where should you go it's how should I do it because as you've as you've said there's bears throughout the state. You know, we know that there's deer in every zone, um, probably more than we see. Uh, and so, it's not where to go. I, I've got I've got places where I've got there. I know that there's five or six really good bucks with you know timber bucks that are nocturnal and and almost impossible to see. I know they're there, but I could give anybody that like the specifics of where they are. I don't think they'd fill a tag any faster than me <laughs> because unless, unless they know how to hunt that area, like knowing sure. where they are just gets you close enough to be frustrated. So anyways, with this whole segment, the idea is is, is how would you hunt this? And um, I gave you a Latin long, it's on the east side, so it's, it's home territory for you and usually I would have you tell me how you would hunt this for deer. Um, but since the topic's bear, I, would really, I'm curious as how, how you would hunt this area, um, for, for bear. And if you, if we have the luxury of time and you've looked at it this way, I'd love to hear how you would look at how you'd approach it differently from like early September, you know, the last weekend of archery versus early November. Um, you know, right as it's starting to get cold and crisp and the bears might be in a, in a different pattern.
1: Yeah, this is great. And yeah, happy to do so. So do you want me to share my screen and I can just kind of show you where it is as I discuss it that make it easier for you?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the folks listening, won't see it. So you definitely got to paint the picture. Oh, um, you know, I think yeah. I can say it's uh, but I'll, I'll get it. You know, it's Eastern Sierra. You know I'd say it borders the Yosemite and then it's uh, high elevation. Looks like looks like looks like the moon.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh we're talking nine thousand feet plus uh country, alpine zone, certainly alpine zone. So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of granite and um So I have actually not set foot in this exact spot. So this is great for me. I've been all around it, but I have not been in this exact spot. So for me, the way I would approach this is a lot of e-scouting, like a lot of people do now. Uh, Uh Google Earth and Onyx start studying all the imagery you can see. So go in Google Earth and look at past imagery and current imagery use on x to look at what are you burns. looking for? So when I'm looking for on on x for burns, I'm looking at the years that they burned and seeing, you know, if that burn over the years has changed at all. So burns mm-hmm. that are like between two and five years old are really good for bears, because you'll have some regrowth in there. Um, that's good potential um, habitat for having berries on the fringe and the pockets that didn't burn that are within the big burn Mm -hmm. areas are great bedding areas and forage areas as well. And so I'll look for that. And I'm looking at it now and I'm not seeing anything um, in there from historic burns Mm -hmm. uh, real close by. So uh, then from there, at that elevation that would be an elevation that i would typically focus on early season um because that's where you're going to find some really good green up and meadows when they're in early season they're still going to be eating on grasses for a while and then berries are going to start coming in a little bit later but i would in that country after I've kind of e-scouted my routes in there, where are the, the basic trails to get in? You know, where are the people gonna be? Yeah. Um, where's the, you know, the common human traffic? Uh, the other thing I would look at is, are there any areas that are like really close to super popular trails? And knowing this country here, there is the main trail that goes up to this lake is very popular. Yeah. And the, it gets less and less busy as you get higher as to where you put this point exactly. So got, it. you might need to. Contact so is that? Your local okay, so,
0: but I know I know I know back, sorry, uh, backpacking through hiking, John Muir Trail, High Sierra Trail, bears are yeah. a huge issue along those trails. And so there's bears that literally cruise the trail just looking for you know handouts, you know you know, food bags that they can steal. Are you looking at this trail coming up to this lake uh, because you want to be nearby that traffic or because the bears you're expecting, true wilderness bears are not going to hang out around those trails?
1: Um, I kind of play both both games. Um, I will, knowing that there's like real popular places that people will camp, the bears are going to come and hit those spots and look for scraps or potentially kind of rummage around people's camp spots. And typically Mm -hmm. in that country, I'm not worried about shooting a trash bear that might might not taste good. These bears are kind of opportunistically being pests and getting human food. So they're, they're still wild in my opinion, from, from the behaviors that they'll have, but they do learn over time that certain spots are great for finding scraps and they'll come through hit them, but they're primarily eating wild foods. Um, so yeah, I kind of use that to my advantage and say, okay, there's a lake down low at about 8,200 feet that I know has a lot more people at that lake there for sure is going to have bears funneling in. And so I'll look at the different Uh drainages and say, you know, where are the drainages that people aren't going to hike up in, but have good cover and potentially some natural forage that has bear that will attract a bear that a bear might go up in and bed during the day. And then, you know, they're going to follow certain contours, take the path of least resistance often to check out that lake and see what sort of food is around there from people. Right. Um, But then they're also going to potentially follow that drainage up and that drainage has a lot of kind of meandering um, creeks like the creek meanders a lot. And there's a lot of really good forage in there and good potential for berries along that slope, for sure. And the trail sits just above all that where you could actually just walk that trail and in glass into those big mm-hmm. meadows and those big riparian areas and look for bears. So Got I would uh, approach it from First, going in there and figuring out where the food sources are. I always have to ground truth. And even though I know that type of habitat uh, and kind of generally what the bears should be doing in that country, I won't really know exactly what they're doing and where they'll be until I look on the ground and ground truth, those specific locations. Um, You can't really tell or I can't really tell from the imagery what Mm -hmm. berry species are in certain areas you know i could just tell that that looks like a spot you'd find currents and that looks like a spot you'd find elderberries um and snowberries right. but until you get out so there from a and scally- see-
0: yeah so when from a sky perspective when you actually go out there and you know hike it a month before the season or, or whatnot you're 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 mm-hmm. looking for what you're, you're doing your plant identification. You get your foragers guide out and you're looking, you're doing, your yeah. plant identification and you're identifying what has flowered, what's in, what's got berry development and is it ripe today or is it going to be ripe in a month? Um, is that, is yeah, kind exactly. of that the scouting process?
1: Yeah, the scout, exactly. So uh, you learn to identify these species from their leaf exactly what their leaf looks like from their flower. And then of course, from their berry. But you want to know how to figure them out before they go to berry, right. And so if you're out there scouting, you need to be able to identify them from their leaf and or their flowers, ideally during the flower, because if you can see that they're flowering really well, then that means Mm -hmm. generally speaking, that crop that you've run into is potentially going to have really good berries as well. If you see them and they should be flowering and you're saying, Okay, well, the book says they're supposed to be flowering right now, but they're not, then that's a good sign that you need to check a different aspect or a different elevation and see what's going on somewhere else and say, that's not worth my time to be in there. And oftentimes, you'll find scat from the year before, where if that was a really good source, that Uh the bears were in there. And that'll give you a good idea that they might be coming through again, uh, for sure. Now, knowing this country and how the bears move through it this stuff a bear can be in there for a day or two but it's nothing for them to Mm -hmm. go from one canyon to the next to the next looking for the most the best source of food do they go
0: up and over they just go like up you know up and over an eleven thousand foot ridge or do they go up the valley then up through a pass and then back down the next one
1: so bears can be like lazy where they just follow the path of least resistance and plot a wrong but there are also bears that (laughs) can seems like they consider the world flat where they just go boom straight up and over anything i've trailed bears in the high country going over stuff that you know rock climbers would climb and people have probably seen videos of bears climbing sheer cliffs. And i have friends that climbed in yosemite that the bears would actually climb two pitches up on a, a pretty difficult route to get to hanging food so i mean they're capable wow. of a lot more than you think they yeah. are and sometimes they do it but generally speaking they're in and they're in the business of saving energy they're going to take saddles like deer will um they're going to follow these mm. paths of least resistance they might even just walk down a trail you know a human trail for a while but oftentimes they'll split off and they're not going to stay on the trail mm-hmm. for very long and so i ought i it's interesting when you're out there enough, you start to follow your own pattern where you'd want to go. And then you tend to say, whoa, the bears are actually doing the same thing I'm doing. Um, you know, in what you mm-hmm. would walk, they, they also tend to fall towards as well a lot of times. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I'm, si- say I've done all my e-scouting, I'm now I'm in there and I'm ground truthing, I'll actually like have points on my Onyx or or um, in my GPS, or used a lot in the mm-hmm. past, where I would find glassing locations. And I'd actually go up to those spots and see if they're worthwhile. See if they I can actually see what I wanna see and see how much country I can see. Um, if you don't have a spotting scope, that changes the type of glassing you can do. If you have just binos, sure. well, then you might have to move more and hit more glassing locations. And depending on the type of haunt and the time that I have and the amount of weight I wanna carry, sometimes I don't have a spotting scope, sometimes I just have binos on me
0: and is so- for for this region like this area eastern sierra it's it's 98 granite and you've got these little corridors of green in the canyons yeah. and the drainages and you mentioned like you know bear may go up one of these drainages to, to bed down so it brings a couple of questions of mine are they bedding down in these cooler drainages I'm, well, drainage because they're cooler and there's water, are they bedding down during the day mostly? And then the other thing from a glassing perspective, are you trying to see as much territory as possible? Or are you trying to see like down into the into a drainage? Like, are you trying to look at that 1% of the geography that is gonna, is gonna have maybe more likely a bear that's feeding or, 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 or bedding down?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, a good way to think of it as well. Um, I tend to want to see a lot more country, especially early in the morning when I think they're going to be out and about moving or in the evenings. I want to see a lot of country. Um, but when, you know, it's not early in the morning or whatever, then I'm just kind of boots in the ground covering as much country as I can. If I'm truly scouting, you know, I'm not like still hunting through certain areas, but I'm covering areas that I can't really see from glassing. That's when I start really Mm -hmm. focusing on the thicker country stuff. That's a little bit hidden, um, from view from most, most of where I was able to glass and see how much, you know, you know, how this country can be. There's, there's places that you can't see from a lot of your glassing spots that are just perfect and can hide animals real easily. So you want to get into some of these deeper drainages and, and where these deep drainages are, and you can't really see into them. Often that's where there's a lot of really good berry patches too. Um, but mm-hmm. the bedding locations that you asked about—it's interesting. Some bears get used to human behavior and human pattern, and they'll bed not just not far at all from a trail where they they're near that food mm-hmm. source because people just don't go down and then up the side. Like, but as the if as, as you throw a rock, it's like a hundred yards from you, but it's like down the down into the drainage, up the other side, you know. And so they're right. they're just right there. Then other times, they go way up into the tops of canyons, and they're you know they're sitting up there where it's nice and cool, and they're near a water source that they can get to right in the evening yeah. because nobody's going to be around. You know, you're not going to typically see them like going to get a drink. These wildland bears on these big lakes, you know, where people are camping right on the edge, unless they're really habituated. Sure, up there.
0: Yeah. Is there an elevation max? I mean, you know, some of these ridges, some of these lakes are at on the East side, you know, 10, 11,000 foot They're, they're, they're surrounded by granite. Is there a point at which the, the elevation and the terrain at that elevation just says, okay, they're not going to bother unless they're passing through.
1: Yeah. I, I typically do not spend a ton of time at these higher elevations. Um, in, okay. in this type of country, because there's not a whole lot of expansive riparian areas in here and in forests, I would actually uh, look just to the uh, north of this kind of granite basin drainage. And there's a whole bigger drainage, mm-hmm. just to the north that has a lot more timber, and a lot bigger uh, meadow like areas. And I would actually focus at lower elevations as coming from there and work my way down until I start finding that bear sign um got it when you're in there so you you might yeah. have a couple of bears up the way Go ahead.
0: no i was going to say so if it looks totally inhospitable and un- unwelcoming and not you know doesn't look like there's a lot of forage then that that's might be a sign that that's not where the bear would be it would be in it would be in a lusher more green you know, drainage that's got more, just more of everything that you just described.
1: Yeah. And you certainly could see bare sign where they're interested. Like I said, they go from one drainage to the next, like no problem. They might be working this country and hit it for a day or two, but their objective is to go like way over to the west side of the crest and into those bigger drainages. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're planning on doing. Or they came from the west side and they're going to the east side and they Mm -hmm. pass through this area. They hit a meadow and a couple areas that have some berries, but it's not really energy efficient for them to keep hitting all these small isolated patches all over this and climbing all of that granite. Instead, they move over Mm -hmm. to one drainage that has way less human activity where they can forage a lot better and there's a lot more um, food for them. And so early season, it is a really good area to do. Like early, like archery season and early rifle. Mm you can see bears up there but they start moving down often into these bigger drainages that have a lot more forage and and lower elevation stuff because that's what ripens first like we were talking about earlier much earlier the stuff that ripens first is going to be that lower elevation the the higher elevation is a great place to find where they're eating on meadows and green grassy mm-hmm. areas early in the season but generally speaking that um, berry patches and such are going to start up lower and then work their way higher elevation it. again so you kind of have this interesting pattern where they kind of move up and down based on where that food source is is most ripe
0: when you find an area that's that's got that it's got some moisture it's it's got some shade and it's got the berries that you're looking for that whatever that food is that's ripe at that time how do you do you still hunt through it or do you do you go back to that a, a glassing spot where you can look down into it how do you how do you get close enough to actually
1: succeed yeah so i like to I like to be in a place where I know there's really fresh sign. You might find bear trails where you see, and I think mm-hmm. I saw you post a picture of this on your Instagram where there's these massive mm-hmm. tracks that are like deep imprints. And you can <laughs> see some trails like that, that they habitually use. I wanna be like right near one of those places where I can get in there and still hunt. Mm-hmm. But I'll often spend time at higher higher elevation above a spot like that. Where i can glass Mm. for a long period of time and then once i feel like i've exhausted my glassing effort like i'm on the top of a ridge i can look down on one side of that into one canyon i can look down on the other side of a canyon but then i have like maybe like a hanging meadow or a hanging canyon kind of just below me then and i know that there's fresh sign in there then after i've done all my glassing and okay there's nothing there then i'll start still hunting um through some new country that i haven't even glassed yet and That might totally change based on what I see. You know, if I see a bear, a glimpse of a bear, and then I'm like, boom, I need to get down there. And basically, I need to get still hunting into that country. But if I don't see anything, especially if I've moved through that country and I didn't see a whole lot of bear sign there, um, it might be a transition zone from one canyon to the next where I'm like expecting to see them. I've seen tracks and trails where they're moving from one to the other, one canyon to the other. And I'm watching that, seeing if something happens. But nope, nothing happened then I'm still hunting and, and getting into that mode.
0: Got it. Um, really late in the season, are those bears denning up or are they going down and across to the to the, the PJs, across the valley into the desert? <laughs> is there a, yeah, is there a so point in which any like, like mid November, be- maybe it's dry, maybe, maybe it's a, fall, a dry fall, there hasn't been a lot of snow. Sure, it's cold but mid-November, am I wasting my time up in the, the, you know, the 9,000 foot range on the Eastern side?
1: Yeah, I think definitely. So once you get into late season, late October into November, um, most of the bears from when I was doing my research started getting into hibernation for sure in November on the East side, if they're East side bears and they're staying on the East side, they were high unless it's an urban bear and that's a totally different story. But, um, Yeah, a wildland bear is typically going to be in hibernation by mid-November from what we saw. So if you're looking for bears in late season, uh, then yeah, I'm not spending as much time at the high elevations. And there are some bears that still linger up there and make make a living, but mostly I would spend Mm -hmm. my time where the highest densities are. And that's going to be dropping way down in elevation, um, closer to like 7,000 feet and and 6,000 feet. Um, kind of country, you know, basically where you can find good pinyon forests, but there's still water within a couple miles or so where they can get a drink. And, and I haven't like studied this directly. But anecdotally, I think when they're eating on those pinyon pines, I think they need to have a good source of water to be able to pass that and deal with that kind of uh, nutrient. So (laughs) they they're in dry stuff. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, and they'll be in some really dry slopes and you can find sign in there, but I think they typically want to be near water where they can pretty much get there maybe once or twice a day, uh, to have a good drink. Okay, So, yeah, I, I talked yeah, to one then- of
0: the biologists, I talked to one of the biologists over there and he said that they had some of the collared, I think some of the studies they were doing with collared bears where some of the bears stayed over in the PJs and didn't, like this state, like they overwintered over there because there was such a good crop. Um,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can huh. see them. I know some hunters that have some spots really well dialed that they, uh, they'll they basically be in there picking the bear they want to shoot because there's, there's like three, four bears in the same spot tolerating each other because wow. the harvest is so good. They're just all in there like, gorging on pine nuts um, in the right slope so that's the interesting thing about bears is like you can find a number of bears in the same berry patch hitting that same country you know and maybe yeah. maybe one moves to the next canyon but another one fills in and you're like oh it looks like that bear's back but maybe it's actually a different bear um one year i was hunting right. with my uncle uh, my uncle actually from back east and his daughter uh, my cousin and I glassed up a bear from a, across a Canyon and it was moving through the berries. Like it was super interesting. It was eating and moving at a pretty good clip, but like, it was still eating as it moved. And it was just like picking berries like, imagine <laughs> just like a, you know, a, 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 say for you might know like a raspberry patch where you can just yeah. grab real easily and eat as go. You know. but he was just grabbing real easily. And I was just like, okay, um, I'm going to bomb over there and go see if I can get this bear. And they're all like, great, go ahead. Like, And they were sitting there watching me as I dropped down and ran up the other side of the canyon. And then I ran into a sow with cubs at the bottom and I'm like, oh no. And like, maybe that was a sow with her cubs. I just didn't see the cubs and the cubs treed and I didn't know where the sow was. And, and then I see the sow and she comes over to the cubs. I'm like, okay, sweet. Well, let me go up to where I thought that bear was coming from. And sure enough, I climbed up through these boulders and then sat on this boulder and i'm hearing it come through the brush and it popped yeah. its head out at me at like 60 yards and all i could see with its head and <laughs> at the time i was just like kind of sh- like waiting for it to come out some more so i could get like a a good broadside shot and i didn't really think about right. just taking a quick shot to it shooting in it in the head um and it's right. just not something that came to me real easily. And then my wind swirled in it, and then it took off. Um, but that bear was like cruising <laughs> and maybe he was cruising. Cause he was going to go run off that sow with her cubs and harass her. Or maybe he was on his way yeah. to the next Canyon and just happened to be, but that sow, I, I watched her with her cubs and they stayed in that area and, and hung out on those berries for a while. Whereas that other bear came through, was picking as it went and it kept moving for some reason, it wasn't hanging tight. Um, so. Yeah, you, you just never quite know if you see a bear there, if it'll be there the next day, or if it's moved on to the next canyon, or if another bear will move into that same spot if you saw one there before.
0: Yeah, no, like the scat thing and, and trying to identifying how recent it is. And like, it just tells you there was a bear, the bear was there, but it doesn't tell you that it will be back. You know, and so exactly. like connecting all the all those different pieces of it, um, you know i think it, it can't be said enough that with bear hunting food the food that is in season today you know the berries that are ripe today um or the acorns or the pinion berries are, you know whatever's in season and ripe today is what's going to help get you closer um to to, to finding them it's huge so how do we yeah, get right. uh right. more Absolutely. people hunting how, how do we get more people over there on the east side hunting bears because it sounds like the like Slinkard valley 70 bears identified different bears identified over a couple years and in the entire zone over there only a handful are taken it seems like the the opportunity is it's a three-hour drive or it's a it's a four-hour drive away for me like it just seems yeah, like so we gotta get we gotta get more that people area, over there.
1: Though, yeah, it'd be nice to see more bear hunters on this side. The opportunity is certainly there. Uh, slinkered Valley, you know, just burned real intensely. Um, the majority mm-hmm. of that good uh, sure. bear habitat, yeah. That I I was gone. I wasn't around when that happened, um, and I uh, haven't been up there to check it out. So I don't know that it's being used as well as. Intensely by bears as it has, uh, I'd kind of have to go scout it. It might still be really good. I'm sure there's some bears using that country. There's still some intact habitat there. But that whole region um to the west of there and the south of there, there's a lot of really good bear country in there. And for certain people, I think it is. I think it's just an afterthought or it's a long drive. It's kind of like me where I'm on the East side. And for me to get to the West side, to think about going Turkey hunting or, or deer hunting, it's right. like, man, I got to drive a, a minimum of three hours, probably more like right. five or six And you're talking forest service roads. It's like, I got to spend a long time. And I think a lot of people kind of just, you know, like you said, bears are everywhere <laughs> for the most part in the state and yeah. where you can hunt them. There's, there's usually a place not too far from them that they can go. But I would definitely encourage people just because like you said, people come here, for their vacation to go backpacking in this country. And some people, you know, it's like a once in a lifetime trip for them to be in the Eastern Sierra. Yeah. And then to do that while you're hunting, you know, you know, as we all are with hunters, it's not just about the hunt. It's also about all that adventure and experience and yep. the landscape you're seeing. And the Eastern Sierra is just a phenomenal place to spend some time. And, you yep. know, you'll learn something different hunting bears in different country. Um, you know, you might think you have a place really dialed where you are, but do you go to somewhere else? If you're looking for a new challenge and you've done bear hunting somewhere else in the state, you try out the Eastern Sierras and then you're going to have to learn a whole new, a whole new deal to figure it out, which I really enjoy. You know, I like hunting in other States and, and I wish I could get out some more in other parts of California as well to learn how to hunt there. But if somebody's interested in, and hunting new country, learning some new techniques and and figuring out bears somewhere else, a different kind of critter. Um, that's really, really attractive. And then the other part too, is, uh, I have seen probably a handful of truly black bears in the Eastern Sierra. Most of them are like a Brown cinnamon, blonde, gorgeous colorations that not a lot of Western States have these color phases. And, you know, I know they exist a lot in other parts of the state too, but they certainly yep. exist in the Eastern Sierra. So, if you're looking for a really beautiful bear rug, you know that is a you know unique color pattern, and you can definitely get it here for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, in September, I'm guessing I don't I don't know if September or October on the eastern side is cooler than over here. I know the bear that I got last August. It's hide was so thin. I mean, it, it just, it had patches of that were almost bald because it just, it didn't need the insulation. Um, it was, a, it was like 90 degrees yeah, the day that, that, that I got it. And so
1: higher uh, elevation stuff gets cold. So their, their coats will be really nice still um, in this, in our yeah. area for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. that would be enticing so you mentioned black are do you think there's more is it is it more heavily color phase over there or or do you is there is it 50 50 or what, what would you estimate the the coloration is
1: you know i should have looked at some of that data when because we were doing a lot of trail camera work um and mm-hmm. as well with these hair snares and and we were looking at that I never actually ran the numbers on how many of the different color phases there are and what the percentage is but just anecdotally kind of thinking about it I would say it's probably more like 60 or 70 percent in a color phase not black at least okay uh, from from that yeah um, what I see in the field is often more you know it's interesting what you see on camera just like what you do when you scout deer, uh, you see more on yeah. camera, you know, these trail cameras than you do out in the field. Right. Um, so that's a little bit more truth in, the, uh, for that looking at yeah. trail camera data instead of what you see, but.
0: Yeah. A jet, a jet black bear in California is, is the unicorn. That's the, that's more rare for us. Um, I know a couple guys that are, um, and myself included, it's like to see a truly jet black bear in California would be, would be special. And um, I don't know if I haven't filled my tag by uh, mid October. Um, if I if I've filled a, a deer tag or two by mid October and I haven't filled my bear tag, I will have to. I'm going to seriously be considering going over to X8 or 12. You know, somewhere between X8 and 12, um, and spending five or six days up there in the high country or the low country, I, I need to follow what you said, you know, wherever the food is, figure out where the food is and and spend some time over there because it is amazing scenery that like, like it's an, it is an adventure hunt. If you, if you do a a backpack hunt or even, you know, spike out from a, a day camp that's up high, that is tremendous scenery that you just don't get anywhere else. And to be able to combine it with some bear hunting would be, would be really special.
1: Yeah, it'd be great to have you over here. And I'd love to meet up with you if you come out or help pack it out or be out there with you and kind (laughs) of teach you some things. And I'm I'm certainly uh, open to helping anybody out uh, at all. Like anybody who comes over here can reach out to me. And if you provide contact information on your Instagram or something for me, I'll happily, you know, people can reach me on Instagram as well. And and ask or on facebook and ask to get some advice because i'm happy to share and if i got time to go out and help folks out uh, but i do kind of want to make sure like people it is an adventurous place to hunt but in backpacking and going deep into the mountains here is like definitely the appeal for most people but you can actually do a fair um, amount of spike or base camping from your vehicle and get into bears okay. especially in that later season um, you can there's a, a lot of good forest service roads in this country. A lot of them are pretty well maintained with a decent four wheel drive. You can get into a lot of this country and you can do some great day hunts from your car and base camp, take the whole family with you and you know, have them explore while you're hunting, you know, or, you know, yeah, with your wife and your kids and everything, you know, it's really not required that you have to get in the deep in the back country, which it sounds like <laughs> you and I both love to do that. Um, but you know, you got lives and work and you're busy and yeah. you know for me on the no, east side true. i have some plans this year to hunt bears hard um for sure and i i like to say i'll make a bunch of trips in the backcountry to go hunt bears but to be honest i'll probably end up doing more after work uh quick weekend hunts you know in yeah. in this country than I will backcountry trips so
0: yeah, well, you're you're right there, and you're right there. There's some great access roads uh, up and down the eastern side, and, and you can get into some elevation with them, and so you can get pretty deep um, and get right there into the into the country. So that's a that's a good point. It doesn't have to be a backpack hunt where you're spending, you know, if you, if you get a bear, you're you're packing it out for you know the next eighteen hours, mo- making multiple trips. So that's a good point. Um, I, uh, I I really appreciate your time, I and mean, we, we've we've gone we've gone a little long. Um, there's so much to talk about. I uh, on the policy side, you know, I, I we are we're a long ways away from you know this. The hunting community is a long ways away from being in a position to present even the the idea of a proposal or, or try to drive a proposal. But I think the more like what you shared in terms of you know. The, the studies that have been done, the studies that are in limbo somewhere, you know, the data that's out there that we need to get the CDFW to, to pull that data and, and get it published. You know, these are things that as a community, we need to get behind. We we want these studies to be done and funded and have the science there to back up whatever the proposals are. Um, and so I really appreciate you putting a lot of words and, and ideas to, to that. Um, and uh i'm sure i'll be coming back to to see if i can validate (laughs) validate some theories with you uh or get more feedback on on what's going on at that level because uh
2: yeah great
0: there there's work to do but it's going to take our community of hunters to to be involved and engaged to to share kind of a unified message that we want the commission and cdfw to take these seriously um you know, for the benefit of the bears and for the benefit of hunting and benefit of deer as well.
1: Right. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, hit the nail on the head there is there's a lot of work to be done and and it should be a process that we, you know, make a long-term game plan to accomplish things like doing something as simple as saying, yeah, we want a spring bear hunt. If you just jump right in there and, and try to get a petition going and just say, hey, let's do a spring bear hunt um, without doing a whole bunch more legwork, um, you know, then you, you could face the anti hunting community that then tries (laughs) to swing at the opposite way on you too quick, too fast and where you're not prepared. Uh, so, you know, we need to be as heavily armed as we can with data and the knowledge and the processes that it's, it's really not easy for them to just shut, shut down bear hunting um like was almost tried here just recently Um, yeah so yeah i think that you know biologists you know it's interesting that in california especially in other states as well in the west you see a lot less um what my mentor would call hook and bullet biologists that were hunters and fishermen or fisherwomen as Mm -hmm. well that are also biologists especially in california so that mentality of managing wildlife and harvest isn't necessarily at the forefront of people that are not uh, focused on hunting as their own recreation as well. And so I think hunters, you know, know how that data can be used and know how that data can help make management decisions and change policy and, they should like you said push for more of this stuff to come out there and that's why i was excited to talk to you is to let people know that there's actually a lot more that's been done that people actually don't know about and there's still a lot more to do yeah but you know if you you encourage that and push that as a hunter and just a member of the outdoor community that you want that information to be public and may not be publishable in a peer reviewed scientific journal, because it's not that significant for new findings, but it's really mm-hmm. significant for the state of California in the information that we yeah. would need on just a state website about bears. Um, you know, there's a yeah. difference between the data that goes into journals and the studies that go into journals than what is just you very good useful information on management and data that's been collected on species in a state on the state website, which it should be there as well. Right
0: yeah no absolutely all right man well thank you again uh i think it's great that you've opened yourself up to to you know to inquiry on on the the socials uh out there and help help new hunters and so i'm sure you'll get a few more inquiries through this but uh i I know we've reached a, a few people through the through the podcast as well and and it's definitely good information so I'm going to say, uh, good luck on, on the hunts this year. I'm hoping that we, we get to see some pictures of, of a, uh, of a big bear, uh, big East side Sierra Nevada bear that will inspire a few more people to head over that way and, and do the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely share and, uh, look forward to following your progress as well. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on. This has been great.
0: Hey everybody. Thanks for listening in. Uh, if you're still with me. We're about 90 minutes in and uh, had a great conversation there with Jonathan Fusaro. Um, talking to these biologists, we could go on forever because they've got their professional experience. They've got their hunting experience. They've got insights into the the policy issues and um, just really enjoy being able to go down so many rabbit holes with uh, with Jonathan there. There's two issues I want to come back to, though. Uh, I made the mistake of, of introducing some in, uncertainty into uh, whether or not he was hunting out of season over there on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada um, during bear, uh, bear season. And so for clarification for everybody, uh, those X8, 9A, 9B, 10, and 12 deer zones on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada, Bear season opens up concurrently which means right there with general deer season so uh, it is accurate to say that you can hunt bear on in those zones um, in September and October and then right up till the uh, the, end of the end of the season as well end of the year um, the other X zones outside not not including eight 9 a 9 b 10 and 12 the other X zones bear season opens after the general deer season so it's a good question as to why that is uh we'll do some work and see if we can find out why why that uh split in the hunt season exists for those northern x zones above tahoe and then the other thing i want to come back to was jonathan mentioned top down Uh, herd management, and bottom-up herd management. And the top-down idea is that predators define the success of a herd of of deer or elk or other prey species. And bottom-up would be the theory that the habitat quality defines the overall success and health of the herd. And I think it's fair to say that, that both theories contribute to the overall success. Both theories are uh, appropriate and good for us as a hunting community to understand. And when it comes to the work that we have to do as a community to improve the deer herd, elk herd, you know, improve the population of wild sheep, you know, any of the species that we're we're excited about that are non-predators, changing rules and regulations around predators is going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a fight <laughs> it, you know there's going to be some controversy there so affecting that top-down regulation or top-down herd management theory is going to be really difficult and that's a long-term discussion. Uh, But the bottom-up side of it has to do with habitat. And I think that's where we have an opportunity today, tomorrow, every day forward to do work ourselves and get out and and work with conservation organizations to improve the habitat, Um, identify winter range and summer range areas where we can protect, enhance, improve habitat, and it's also where we're going to find a lot of allies that aren't necessarily hunters um you know the nature conservancy uh private landowners um you know anybody that's excited about seeing habitat uh wildlife diversity you know biological diversity you know people that enjoy the outdoors and want to see deer when they're out there hiking around um people that want to see small game Uh, while they're out there enjoying the wilderness and the woods, uh, those folks, whether they hunt or not, are going to be allies with the hunting community when it comes to improving habitat. So the long-term issues of predator management are needed, and we we, 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 we need to go that path. But short-term, we really need to talk about and work on Who are the allies that we can connect with? And where can we go out and either do work or support work that's being done to improve the habitat that puts more animals on the landscape? And uh, we all come out ahead with that. Uh, We also find that we've got alliances and friends in the community inside and outside of the hunting community. So I'll get off the soapbox for now. That's my... That's my statement for the day. (laughs) Thank you, Jonathan Fusaro, for spending time with us. And this is a wrap on Episode 5, Hunting Ain't Easy. Thanks, everybody.